This program is presented by Birch Gold Group, the precious metal IRA specialists. Good morning. In today's headlines, more details emerge about the young man arrested yesterday for allegedly leaking classified Pentagon documents. Learn what's known so far about the suspect and his possible motives. A defamation lawsuit against former President Trump is being funded by a Democrat mega-donor, and House GOP members introduce a bill that would change the rules for state prosecutors seeking out former and sitting presidents. Florida is getting tougher on abortion. Governor Ron DeSantis signed into law a six-week limit to the procedure, with some exceptions. The Chinese regime sanctions a U.S. lawmaker. It seems to be retaliation for his promise to help Taiwan protect themselves. Find out more about what the congressman is calling a badge of honor. And a simple act of kindness can go a long way. The story of a considerate gesture that turned into a lasting bond of friendship. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. And I'm Tiffany Meyer in for Evelyn Lee. Today is Friday, April 14th. More details are coming out about the alleged leaker of classified U.S. intelligence and military documents. The FBI arrested a young man yesterday in connection to the leak. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has more on what's known so far. FBI agents arrested 21-year-old Jack Teixeira at his family's home in Dighton, Massachusetts on Thursday. Teixeira is a member of the Massachusetts Air National Guard, stationed in Cape Cod. His official job is Cyber Transport Systems Journeyman. The Air Force says the role entails ensuring the service's vast global communications network is operating properly. Teixeira allegedly shared classified documents on the chat platform Discord. Thousands online had access to the documents. Authorities honed in on the original poster by following the digital trail left behind. Discord said in a statement it was cooperating with law enforcement. One alleged member of the group described Teixeira as a devout Catholic and a patriotic libertarian interested in guns. He says Teixeira began sharing documents when the war in Ukraine started, meaning to educate people about the issues without propaganda. He wanted us all to be sort of super soldiers to some degree, informed, fit, with God, well-armed, stuff like that. The leak purportedly reveals details of how the U.S. spies on its allies and adversaries alike and reveals vulnerabilities of the Ukrainian military, such as gaps in air defenses and a lack of ammunition. It also exposes weaknesses of Russia's military, along with information about U.S. allies, including Israel and South Korea. President Biden seemed unmoved by the leak, saying it contained nothing of great consequence. I'm concerned that it happened, but there's nothing contemporaneous that I'm aware of. Pentagon spokesman Brigadier General Patrick Ryder says there are already stringent guidelines in place to safeguard classified intelligence and that the leak was a deliberate criminal act. The Pentagon is reviewing and tightening up protocols around access to classified materials. This includes examining uh, and updating distribution lists, assessing how and where intelligence products are shared. Teixeira is set to be arraigned at a court in Boston on Friday. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Joining us live to discuss this is FBI whistleblower Steve Friend. He's also a senior fellow at the Center for Renewing America and author of True Blue, My Journey from Beat Cop to FBI Whistleblower. Thank you for your insight on this, Steve. Good morning. Thank you for having me. 
How is it possible for an Air National Guard support staffer to get a hold of top secret military secrets? Well, certainly there's over a million people in the U.S. government who have access to classified information. Uh, and this is an individual who obviously went through some sort of scrutiny and, and, uh, and vetting process in order to have it. Uh, but in my experience, with, when it comes to housing a lot of this uh, information, it's quite frequently housed and commingled with things that are unclassified, classified, secret. It's very sloppy. So there's uh, always these gaps in there. And anytime you have somebody who might actually get through the vetting process and be an upstanding citizen, and they have legitimate concerns about what's going on, there's going to be a vulnerability that, to share that information because that person feels that they're upholding that their oath of office. It certainly seems something needs to be done about this sloppy organization. How can the U.S. be sure that its top secret information is safe if this young man can get it? I think that they need to go back to the beginning and go back to basics as far as compartmentalizing the information. Uh, as I said before, when I was logging into uh, secret systems in the FBI in my, uh, my prior career, to enter my timesheet, which was certainly not classified, would be housed in a system that was storing classified information about national security cases. So just every time I went in to do anything that, that was just a regular day, day-to-day -day task, I was potentially making that system vulnerable. So that is something that needs to be reconsidered within the, the, the government writ large, and we need to be more compartmentalized with where we're putting certain information and in in housing it and making sure that it's, uh, it's not being compromised with just people do, doing their daily routines. Steve, this leak reveals that there were less Russian casualties in its war with Ukraine than the U.S. let the public know, and that there are U.S. troops in Ukraine. What can be said about the public trust in government following this leak? I think that we're just going to go down another another notch on that that ladder. That that depth just keeps going lower and lower. It's it's uh, it's certainly very disturbing. Um, my concern for this young man who came forward, uh, being a whistleblower myself. Uh, he came forward with the best of intentions. He wanted the uh, the information to come out because he was concerned that that information needed to reach the public. Uh, and instead of walking and chewing gum at the same time and, and considering you know, maybe our national security uh, uh, infrastructure and and, uh, and our, our documents are secure, uh, at the same time that we're worried about what's going on with this war in Ukraine, we're just going to focus all our resources and all our intention on, on attacking this messenger, uh, which means, quite simply, that the information he brought forward was probably legitimate and, uh, and Uncle Sam does not want the attention on it. Now, Steve, earlier you tweeted that about over a million people have access to these classified docs and that it's morphed from a way to protect national security to allow for selective leaks to the media. Can you explain this? Sure. In, in my perspective and just anything that you see in, in, uh, in the media when it comes to something that pertains to national security, something that's classified, uh, it's become this weapon for folks to access the, the media and make sure that they get favorable treatment because obviously the media wants to have access to that information and they selectively leak it, as it did in my case, where certain elements of my transcript when I participated in a deposition with the, the House of Representatives were leaked to the media and in order to paint me as a bad guy. Uh, at the same time, the other side of it, if there's any sort of scrutiny over our officials or elected uh, politicians, they can always hide behind this veil of, well, that's national security. I can't talk about it, as we've seen with the uh, people who are subpoenaed before Congress. They always say, look, I can't comment on an ongoing investigation or it's a national security matter. So it's a very convenient tool to uh, either promote yourself or uh, use as a shield to uh, hide behind in, in the case if there's any sort of oversight or scrutiny. Well, thanks for bringing us your analysis from your firsthand experience. FBI whistleblower Steve Friend, great to speak with you today. Thank you very much.
A new batch of classified documents leaked from the Pentagon is making its way to the public lot. The leaks are reportedly showing the infighting between Russian forces. Here's more. 27 pages of classified intelligence documents leaked from the Pentagon reveal what the U.S. has known about the war in Ukraine. That's according to a Thursday report in the New York Times. The report says infighting within the Russian government over the Ukraine war is greater than previously believed, and also that Russian military officials are reluctant to convey bad news up the chain of command. One document reportedly shows Russia's main domestic intelligence agency, the FSB, at odds with the country's defense ministry. It says the FSB is accusing the defense ministry of obfuscating Russian casualties in Ukraine. FSB officials have also questioned the defense ministry's casualty count while discussing the issue with others in the Russian government. The leaked document says the FSB calculates the actual number of Russians wounded and killed is closer to 110,000. The Russian Defense Ministry publicly disclosed the death toll most recently in September last year, saying around 6,000 Russian troops had been killed in the war in Ukraine. The New York Times says the documents show that American intelligence agencies could gather far more intelligence from Russian agencies than previously believed. Poland is sending five MiG-29 fighter jets to Ukraine. The former Soviet warplanes once belonged to the East German military. The German government gave them to Poland in 2003. The condition was that any future transfers to other countries needed Berlin's permission. The German defense ministry on Thursday approved the transfer, deciding the matter on the same day that Warsaw asked for approval. Poland has already supplied eight MiG-29s to Ukraine, with Slovakia vowing to deliver another 13 jets. It delivered four of those last month. U.S. and European officials believe the planes are more useful than Western aircraft. That's because Ukrainian forces have more experience with their flight and maintenance. And now looking at lawsuits against former President Trump. Trump's lawyers raised their concerns yesterday about a defamation suit. They questioned the bias and motive behind it. That's because it's been revealed the nonprofit funding it is backed by a billionaire Democrat megadonor. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the development. Writer E. Jean Carroll accuses Trump of sexually assaulting her in the mid-1990s. Trump denies the allegations. Carroll filed a defamation lawsuit against Trump in 2019 and a separate defamation lawsuit in the Southern District of New York in 2022. Trump's lawyers feel that suit is tainted with political undertones. That's because Carroll's initial deposition stated no one was paying her legal fees. But a letter from Carroll's attorney to Trump's attorneys on Monday says Carroll now recalls securing additional funding from a nonprofit organization to offset certain expenses and legal fees. The nonprofit is the Democrat aligned organization American Future Republic. Trump's lawyers say the primary backer of the nonprofit is the billionaire founder of LinkedIn and Democrat megadonor Hoffman Reed. Carroll's attorneys did not dispute this claim and cited Hoffman's name in their response letter on Thursday. Trump's attorneys allege the inconsistency in Carroll's statements affect the merit of her case. They're requesting the court reopen the case's discovery phase to investigate the source of funding. They want the current trial date of April 25th moved back a month. Carroll's attorney objects to the request and calls the move a delay tactic. He says funding by Hoffman has no bearing on the case's merit. Trump was questioned by Attorney General Letitia James's office in another lawsuit on Thursday. It's a $250 million civil fraud suit accusing him and others of a decade-long scheme. It alleges Trump's net worth and property values were manipulated to obtain loans and tax benefits. That trial is scheduled to begin October 2nd. 
Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. House Republicans are responding to the Manhattan DA's prosecution of former President Trump with a new bill. It aims to prevent similar prosecutions. House Judiciary Committee Chair Jim Jordan told Just the News yesterday that House Republicans will introduce the bill this week. It seeks to prevent state and local prosecutors from prosecuting current or former presidents locally. Instead, former and current presidents can move such cases to federal court. Congressman Russell Fry is leading the effort. He said U.S. presidents are, quote, a target for rogue prosecutors looking to build up their profile and make a name for themselves on the political stage. Another GOP House member, Andy Biggs, will, re will be introducing a different bill. It aims to bar prosecutors from using federal asset forfeiture funds in to investigate prosecutors. Beijing seemingly lashing out at a U.S. House member. China's foreign ministry levied sanctions on Congressman Michael McCall yesterday. The lawmaker chairs the House Foreign Affairs Committee. The Republican visited Taiwan last week, promising to help provide training for Taiwan's armed forces and speed up the delivery of U.S. weapon shipments to the island. Under Chinese sanction law, McCall is now banned from entering the country and from interacting with organizations and individuals in China. Any property or assets he may have in China will also be frozen. China's foreign ministry said McCall had frequently interfered in China's internal affairs and harmed China's interests. McCall called Beijing's decision a badge of honor, saying the move actually serves U.S. interests by bringing more attention to international partners and revealing the Chinese Communist Party's blatant aggression. The Chinese Communist Party claims Taiwan as its own territory, though it has never ruled the island. Because of that view, Beijing strongly objects to dialogue between Taiwan and foreign officials, especially if it involves Taiwanese President Tsai Ing-wen. Today, German Foreign Minister Annalena Bayerbach warned China against using military force against Taiwan. Her statements followed talks with her Chinese counterpart in Beijing. She says conflicts must be solved peacefully and that Europeans would find a violent change of the status quo unacceptable. Coming up, the fire at a plastic recycling plant in Indiana has been fully extinguished, but some residents remain concerned about hazardous materials in the air. And the Child Victims Act was passed in Maryland. It removes the statute of limitations for child sex abuse lawsuits. We spoke with abuse survivor and attorney Teresa Lancaster. Find out after the break. Welcome back. Florida passed a six-week abortion ban yesterday. Governor Ron DeSantis signed the proposal into law after the Florida House approved it. It contains some exceptions, including to save a woman's life. Abortions for pregnancies involving rape or incest would be allowed until 15 weeks of pregnancy. That would require documentation, such as a restraining order or police report. DeSantis has called the rape and incest provisions sensible. The six-week ban will only take effect if the state's current 15-week ban is upheld. That faces an ongoing legal challenge before the state's Supreme Court, which is controlled by conservatives. The Indiana fire that forced thousands to evacuate is now fully ex extinguished. Firefighters in Richmond have been battling the blaze at a plastics recycling plant since Tuesday afternoon. A city attorney says potentially hazardous material was at the site. 
However, city officials were unable to remove it, despite taking ownership of some of the property. The attorney says the blame lies on the business owner who still had property at the site and objected to the removal and disposal of the materials. The Environmental Protection Agency has been monitoring air quality in the area amid concerns the fire could have caused asbestos and other toxic chemicals to escape from the plastics. Some local residents reported negative symptoms following the fire. My whole house smelled like plastic, even though we had the windows and everything shut. Stepped outside, it was like you were eating plastic. We don't know what we're breathing out there. I know burnt plastic is not good to breathe, especially when you step outside for a few minutes and your throat's getting really sore and it's bothering your eyes. Mm -hmm. Please be honest with us about what we're breathing out there. Evacuation orders for more than 2,000 residents remain in place for the time being. In other news, the state of Maryland ratified the Child Victims Act this week following a staggering church sex abuse report. It detailed at least 600 sexually abused children by more than 150 Catholic priests and others associated with the Archdiocese of Baltimore. The new law repeals the statute of limitations for survivors of child sex abuse to sue their abusers. Entity's Daniel Monahan reached out to attorney Teresa Lancaster, herself an abuse survivor. Attorney Teresa Lancaster discussed serial abuser Father Joseph Maskell, who allegedly molested at least 39 victims. Maskell was a counselor at my high school, Archbishop Keogh, and he abused me for two years there while I was a junior and a senior. He abused a lot of girls there. The sex ring at Keogh was, was big. Father Maskell had uh, access to everything. He was a police chaplain, um, he was a military chaplain, and he had a lot of friends. Teresa says Maskell even arranged for certain members of the police to sexually assault girls. Father Maskell would take me and one of my friends on police runs, and um, uh, we, would, we were actually handed over to police and abused by the police. I wasn't the only one. A lot of the girls that came forward experienced the same thing. Some of them um, had the experience in Father Maskell's office at the school. He would bring people in that way. It wasn't uncommon for there to be a police car parked outside of Keogh High School. Teresa remarked that the church knew Maskell was a deviant even before he got to Keogh and aggressively defended the accused while ignoring the victims. And there they had all the records from 66. He had abused uh, people at Our Lady of Victory at St. Clemens, and he was transferred to Keogh after being uh, abusing boys. So maybe they figured the all-girl high school would be better. They want to protect the church at any cost. It's, it's run like a corporation, and they figure they put pressure on survivors when they come forward, and eventually they'll go away. They want to continue making their money, and they don't care. She is calling for more accountability. I would start with the Attorney General's report where it has uh, church leaders listed. They're all blacked out. All those names are blacked out. Now, these are the people that moved the priest from parish to parish. They hid it. They enabled it. I ask that they show us the names of the individuals that 
that failed us terribly. There's a lot of survivors that uh, are dead from suicide, and uh, they're messed up in the head. And, you know, care. Come clean and take accountability for all of it that has happened. The attorney has a message for those who have been abused. I do want to say that um, for the victims out there, don't be afraid to come forward and tell your story. SNAP, the survivors network of those abused by priests, has counselors and we can help. And the big thing is you will be believed. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Teresa Lancaster actually wrote a highly regarded book about her experience. It's called Safe in Socks, and it's available at Amazon. Lancaster was also featured in the Emmy-nominated docuseries The Keepers, which is currently on Netflix. That explores the church sex abuse cases, as well as the alleged murder of Sister Kathy Sesnick. And today we'll have a report next week from a key figure in that case. And coming up, a simple act of kindness can go a long way. A stranger offered to pay for a man's groceries, and the considerate gesture turned into a lasting bond of friendship. That's coming up. Welcome back. An act of kindness that went viral online. In Louisiana, a young man helped pay for a stranger's groceries. And the two men are now close friends. Here's the story. Jason Boudreau is a resident of Bro Bridge, Louisiana. One day he went to deposit his paycheck and then went shopping at a grocery store, thinking the money was already in his account. But his card got declined. This gentleman was in back of me. And I just greeted him, never met him, never saw him before in my life. He greeted me. It was my turn to check out, and the, the cashier said, I'm sorry, sir, you have insufficient funds. I said, how can that be? I just deposited my check. She said, when? I said, about an hour ago. She said, usually it takes a day or two. I said, oh, okay. So the guy in the back said, hey, I got you. I said, what do you mean you got me? I said, you didn't hear. I said, it's not Starbucks where you're going to pay it forward six dollars you know he said sir i heard the price i got you boudreaux said he offered to pay the young man back and gave him his business card but given the excitement at the time boudreaux didn't get the young man's name i said i was a detective in iberia parish i'm there a lot i want to repay you so he said no need i said there is a need that's how i was raised if you owe somebody money you pay him Boudreaux posted his experience on Facebook and it got thousands of shares. He then connected with the young man, 28-year-old Kevin Jones, through a mutual friend. I invited him to family day at my mother's. We have that every Sunday. And he sure enough said, yeah, I'll come. Well, when his wife and him showed up, she said, you know, it's actually his 28th birthday. I said, wow, that's crazy. So I had like five pounds of crawfish, five pounds of shrimp, some turtle, alligator, frog legs. We made a big old feast like we do here in Louisiana. Jones told Today.com that he lives by a motto, if I got it, you got it. Boudreaux told NTD how he felt about this act of kindness. Being in law enforcement for almost 20 years, you never called to a scene for something good. It's always something bad, so you kind of look at the world a little different. Seeing what this gentleman did, it, it, it gives you refreshment for life. 
Boudreaux and Jones are now close friends and have future plans for weekend gatherings. Well, I guess it goes to show you, Tiff, a simple act of kindness can go a long way. Indeed, and Boudreaux said he and Jones are like brothers now and calls him one of the most sincere souls he's met. He also invites Jones' family to his own family events every Sunday, and he would like to pass the tradition on. Oh, that's really nice. So now moving out west, the area has seen its share of moisture this winter. Some areas have been flooded, but after three years of drought, it also brings some relief to crops and one additional benefit. The wet winter in the southwest has resulted in a super bloom of wildflowers. Yellow, purple, and other colored flowers are blossoming amid the cacti on hillsides near Lake Havasu City, Golden Valley, and other parts of Arizona. Flower photography is a popular spring attraction in the Grand Canyon State. You can visit Arizona.com to find all the best spots to capture them on camera. Ah, oh, wildflowers are just so charming. It kind of reminds me of your suit. <laughs> I was thinking of California, but you know. <laughs> oh yeah, so have you seen a lot of good scenery out there? Kind of. I used to see a lot of the like wild poppy flowers. They're really pretty. Oh, that sounds cool. I guess it does kind of match my suit, but <laughs> <laughs> that's all from us today here on this program. We'd love to hear from you at goodmorning at ntd.com. So shoot us an email if you'd like. Thanks for watching. I'm Tiffany Meyer. And I'm Kevin Hogan.